1: This podcast exists because of the paid members at decodingtv.com. Sign up for decodingtv.com, a paid subscription, and you get ad free episodes as well as early access to episodes, as well as the knowledge that you are keeping this podcast going. Thanks to everyone at decodingtv.com who makes this podcast possible. I saw one where a kid's homework disappeared and then turned into a DVD of the show 60 Minutes. So that's a real curse
2: what's sixty minutes?
1: Um it's a news magazine. Um it's a show for us old old geezers like me.
2: Oh I'm so old. That's not funny. Hi, I'm old. Aha, uh-huh, you're so funny. You don't find this funny? No.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen, and I just won't stop bothering Patrick about taking taking those improv comedy classes. Joining me today is Patrick Levick,
2: who it's is ashamed to admit how many times he has found his keys in the trash only because he looks up the AirTag location and it says, "Hey man, you threw it in the trash again." <laughs> is that true? Do you do that? the 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 um the drawer where we put like that kind of like the junk drawer yeah, equivalent yeah, yeah. where we have where I do. Crash. Put the keys is above the trash. And I yeah. have absentmindedly, like, coming home with the kids, think I'm pulling one. And I just, there is a spot where I'm supposed to put the keys. But very frequently, it, there's an organizer in there. It's just like, well, in the keys go. And then I shut it. And I I blamed my children the first time
0: uh-huh. this happened.
2: Shameful. And then it happened another time. And now I have not absolved my children of it. They've done inflicted enough pain upon me that they can... They can believe that they put the key in the in the trash, but when I realized the second time, I was like, "Well, no one else was home. I don't think they put it in the trash." It's like I think I'm pulling that drawer a little too fast, and I gotta. I caught myself one time, like uh, mid-release, like, Hoot! "Get that, get that!" Wow, key back.
1: that's that's kind of creepy when you catch your body doing something that you don't actually want to do. You know, like you're like you stop it midway. You know, it's like, wow, there's there's really two competing. Brains in here sometimes anyway uh,
2: glad you have the tags, Patrick.
1: That's, and my, that's,
2: that's my Dougie moment
1: of uh, of the podcast <laughs>
2: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. He was Patrick was also blackout drunk at the time. Uh, all right, welcome to decoding TV. on today's episode of the podcast we're going to be discussing the curse episode four under the big tree. You can find more episodes of this podcast at decoding tv uh, podcast at decoding and email us at DecodingTV at gmail.com. Find us across all platforms, including YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and so on at TV. Now, uh, we are going to start by talking about our overall thoughts in the episode, then go into a detailed, spoiler-filled recap. But before we do any of that, uh we got a few things we got to respond to. We got a few things that are going on in the real world that we want to react to and talk about. I want to start by reading this message from Shane over at DecodingTV.com, who was responding to the last episode of the podcast and of the show, The Curse, reacting to that final scene where they have that extremely painful conversation, like trying to recreate the thing for Instagram. Shane says, quote, what makes the final scene even sadder is we see that Asher is capable of being fun and spontaneous when he and Whitney are alone together, but Whitney being Whitney, she just can't see any value in that. Also, I'm guessing that the conditions in the new house turn out to be worse than expected and will quickly deteriorate. Then one of the daughters will go viral on TikTok when she posts a video documenting the, dis- the disrepair, which leads to Whitney being publicly shamed for being a slumlord just like her parents. End quote. Uh, definitely agreed on the first point. And as somebody who creates a lot of content out of their life, uh, that you know hit home for me. You know, Shane, <laughs> thanks for the comment at DecodingTV.com. <laughs> but uh also uh i don't know that it's going to play out exactly like shane predicts with regards to the uh whitney house but i do think that yeah the the state of disrepair at the house with the uh with the daughters is going to become a problem uh and it will lead to some unfortunate parallels between whitney and her parents i that's that feels like a very likely path for the show to go down
2: well especially because it's the it's the kind of thing where the show is constantly talking to us about, hey, what do these good intentions mean? What is mm-hmm. underneath? The, mm-hmm. Like, Because what's underneath the good intentions is like, well, they can stay here while we wait to see if the show gets greenlit because we want to sell the plot of land. Like, yeah, they're letting them stay. But they still intend to kick them out of the house Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when they can. They can turn a profit on this because the this neighborhood becomes desirable and up and coming, right? By people are not these people,
1: right? What 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 is the end game? It's not like let's keep these people housed forever. You know, it's (laughs)
2: no, it's definitely not. It's definitely (laughs) not that. It's just I see these people in front of me. I'm taking pity on them, but do I see them as people that deserve like real systemic help? Like. Maybe not. I don't know.
1: Maybe not. Yeah. So anyway, uh, thanks for all the comments and messages and emails at DecodingTV.com. And uh, always uh, feel free to keep the uh, thoughts and reactions coming into DecodingTV at gmail.com. Uh, always uh, a big fan of how intelligent and insightful our audience is here. Uh, so before we get into today's episode, there's also one other thing I just wanted to mention, which is the um, the promotions... The PR that's happening around the curse on Paramount Showtime is, I would describe as performance art,
0: and I think it's quite <laughs>
1: masterful. I don't know if you saw this, Patrick Klepek, but there's been a few pieces of media go viral recently featuring Nathan Fielder. Uh, one of them that I think is particularly clever is uh, there is a new movie coming out, uh, a romantic comedy called Anyone But You, starring Glenn Powell and Sydney Sweeney. And there was a clip online of Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney introducing the trailer in awkward fashion, which uh, Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone then recreated pretty much uh, word for word. I'm going to play the clip that they posted of themselves introducing the trailer for The Curse, uh, and that is going to be followed by the original Glenn Powell, Sidney Sweeney clip. So you'll hear them both in succession. Here it is.
0: Check out the trailer for my new show. My new show? It's actually my show.
1: Uh, we'll see whose show it is when people see it.
0: Okay. Check out the trailer for our new show, The Curse, now. Better?
1: Just play the trailer. Oh, my God.
0: Enjoy.
2: Check out the new trailer for my new movie. My movie.
0: It's actually my movie.
2: Uh, We'll see whose movie it is when it comes out.
0: Okay. Check out the new trailer for our new movie, Anyone But You, now. Better? Just play the trailer. Oh, my God. Enjoy.
1: So... That's hilarious that they're recreating the kind of forced awkwardness of the original Anyone But You trailer. Uh, And then Nathan Fielder posted the following message online. (laughs) Quote, I've just been informed that the introductory clip leading into our trailer for The Curse, which I posted to social media earlier today, has similarities to the trailer uh, introduction for the rom-com movie Anyone But You. I want to be very clear. We shot this promo over six months ago and I am seriously concerned that the marketing team at Sony Pictures saw our promo and copied it. I personally will not be pursuing legal action, but I cannot speak for Paramount Plus for Showtime. <laughs> As artists doing these types of promos, we just read the scripts we are given with unyielding trust that the creative we are performing is wholly original and not lifted from competing projects or generated by AI a continued fight that artists around the world are trying to put a stop to. It's unfortunate that Sydney, Glenn, Emma, and myself have been put in this situation. But this will not stop us from supporting each other's successes. And I know that both Emma and myself will personally be booking front row seats to anyone but you on opening night, end quote. <laughs> that is amazing. It's By the way, it's it was I think this was tweeted, and it was a screenshot of the Notes app. Mm-hmm. So he just no one understands virality more than Nathan Fielder in my, or not, maybe not no one, but he is one, maybe Mr. Beast, you know, but like he is one of the people that understands like how viral mechanisms work better than most other people. And I just love that. He's putting on a little like performance art show for what feels like an audience of, I'm going to say like, 10,000 people watching The Curse and also listening to decoding <laughs> TV. You know, like, I don't know that anyone else is getting anything out of this other than, like, me and, like, some of his other fans who who are probably not even watching The Curse.
2: Um, but, uh, Patrick Klepek, any reaction to this? No, it is one of those, th- but it, it points to one of those things I have missed over, you know, like, obviously, the strikes were, like, valid. Yeah. Like, I'm glad yeah. they dragged them out as long as they needed to to get the things that put the protections in place for the work that they do. And most marketing material, like, promo stuff that goes <laughs> alongside yeah. movies and television is pretty perfunctory and, like, just a pseudo form of advertising sent to local markets. And then every once in a while, every once in a while, you get some shit like this. And it's like, ah, oh, this is fantastic. And for a show that, frankly, probably needs it, I, I like, I was trying to, over Thanksgiving, uh, my my brother likes watching odd shows, but doesn't mm-hmm. keep up with things. Like he's like a lot of people like loads up his various like, apps yeah. and kind of sees what draws his attention. I was like, I your sense of humor. Like I don't, Hmm. Uh, he's like, I watched a trailer. I didn't get it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Nope. That's fair. I don't think the trailer really accurately sells what the show is about. I don't think the show knows how to sell what it's about. And I was like, you need to watch the first episode. And like, and I think if you can get through that, You'll have a good sense of whether you're on on for the rest of it. If my mom was like, Well, I really like Emma Stone, I was like, mom, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Like, do not like not in a million years are you gonna vibe with this show at all? You get mad at me if I recommended it to you. But I like it is one of those bits where like I think you're right. Not a lot of people are probably watching this show. Um, but I think more people would. Like that's part of the benefit of some of this stuff going viral. It's like, oh right, I like you know, I like that yeah. guy. And, and and maybe they check out a piece of work that they wouldn't have otherwise. And and so I'm glad to see stuff like that because it's fun to see Nathan and Emma like doing just like genuinely funny material. Um, but it also hopefully it it points a few people towards towards the show.
1: Agreed. I predict over the course of the next few weeks there's gonna be some uh viral clip from this show that that spreads far and wide. That's my guess. Is like
2: I'm a little shocked think, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, like th- I ugh.
1: But I think things are you know I, I would say that a lot of the moments from the show so far um take place that are like really painful, like take place in extended long sequences. Yeah, and that's harder fair. to go viral. I I'm guessing there's gonna be some big explosion uh, metaphorically speaking, in the next few weeks on the show, that will lend itself to some virality, and then that might also entice people further. So, we'll see. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is, uh, if you have a chance, check out Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone's interview with Jimmy Fallon. Not Jimmy Fallon, sorry, uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, <laughs> essentially, what happens during the interview is, uh. Nathan Fielder reads like a uh, a review of the show from the New York Times, which describes Emma Stone's acting as amazing and his own acting as very wooden and like uptight. And so he appears on Jimmy Kimmel as like a super laid back dude with like baggy <laughs> baggy clothes and like a shirt. And he's like, actually, you know, I'm super laid back all the time that Nathan Fielder that you saw on screen was a performance. You know, like, I'm actually really laid back. And so the performance is actually really good, if you think about it in that that light. Um, and it's very funny. It's painfully awkward and long, um, like the show itself. But I think it's very funny. And I just want to give a shout out to Emma Stone, who is game for all this. Like, she's, just, she's showing up on Jimmy Kimmel with Nathan Fielder, knowing it's going to be a painfully awkward interview, where there's this bit that he's doing. He's, like, kind of the star, you know, of the bit and she's just game to go she academy award winning actor emma stone is just willing to like go along with this uh and and show that she's she's game for the bit she's game to to try to get the laugh even if it means dragging out the bit to like a really absurd amount of time it just it really has increased my respect for her um but
2: yeah have you're more familiar with uh, uh his work than than i am has does he carry this level of performance like your inability to sort of pin down who is nathan fielder to everything like is it always present like it's one thing to be on jimmy kimmel in which like these shows are meant to be like viral video factories right. like you come with a bit that then goes on youtube yeah. that goes on social media and it you know like that's how those shows function these days people don't really sit down to watch an hour of jimmy kimmel <laughs> like they're what they catch these clips on on social media and elsewhere. Like. So I understand that happening there. But like, does he ever sort of like break and like talk about process and how he views his work? Um, Or does he sort of maintain this illusion of part of what makes my work function is that you're not you're not you aren't quite sure who I am and what is and isn't a performance.
1: Right. I would say uh, it has come to light a little bit. Uh, it's rare, but I I think I've seen him talk about his process. Uh, I believe the New York times did a profile on him a while ago. And he Mm. talked about Nathan for you at that time. Um, He's done a lot of press for how to with John Wilson, because he's an executive producer on that show. And so he's talked a little bit more about like what inspires him and kind of like that kind of stuff. Uh, So it's not like he never breaks character or anything like that. Uh, I would say most of the time his persona is very similar. uh, And I would say, the thing that, you know, uh the thing that's in question is when he's doing more documentary style stuff is like the rehearsal or like how to with John Wilson. The qu the, the open question is um what he thinks, you know, like how much he's responding to what he thinks your reaction is gonna be, if that makes sense. I mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm doing a very good job of describing it, but I guess I'm saying like I don't know how earnest a lot of this stuff is, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know how, as opposed to extremely calculated. Right. Um, And that, that continues to remain a mystery. The persona remains relatively consistent, but that part continues to remain a mystery to me. Um, So like how much, what he's representing of like himself and his intentions is actually true. You know, that's what I'm, um, uh, that's what I think is still an open question. So anyway, Some thoughts on what's going on around the promotion of the curse. I'm loving it. I feel like I'm one of the only people that's like this is in the target audience for this. But I'm having a great time. So keep it up. Keep it up, A24 and Nathan Fielder and and Emma Stone.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
1: All right, Patrick Klepek, let's talk about episode four of The Curse, Under the Big Tree. What do you think overall of this episode?
2: That's interesting because I, in me handing my notes on the episode over to you, I think you picked up on something that I think is really interesting about the structure of this episode, which is that it's true that in any other episode of The Curse, we are cutting between different characters and situations, but... I think up until this point, it's felt like a pretty... Other than, like, the break with Dougie, like, at the date. Like, it's a lot of pretty natural flow of events. Um, And here, in this episode, it feels like very much like the show is saying, like, hey, we kind of have, like, parallel stories happening. And there's still going to be, like, overlap. Like, obviously, these characters are involved in each other's lives. But we're kind of following separate stories that are being given their own time and room breathe where it's not necessarily that like hey this is an a plot that's going to interact with a b plot um like that'll happen like we're all building towards something and i I like that the fact that the show is giving itself room to breathe i i said my my broad reaction is I, i don't know what to make of dougie as a character yeah the function that he fills in the show um There's a little bit of a sense of I don't want to call it spinning its wheels because I don't know where it's going, but the show is dedicating an enormous amount of time to this character, and he is a character that works better in smaller doses. There is an element to the performance that over time can become. And I don't think this is a uh, a dig at uh, Safdie's acting. I think it is intentional. Like it is a very intentional performance. I actually watched like the first third of good times uh, because you had recommended it because uh, it got recommended to me on, 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 Netflix. And it was interesting to contrast like that performance to this one. And it really speaks to the range that you had, yeah. had mentioned. I think he uh, plays
1: like a, a, like a developmentally disabled or like mentally challenged character in that. Yeah, and movie. like the opening yeah. scene is like a yeah.
2: tremendous, like it's a really, uh, it's like a, a meeting with like a, ther- like a therapist or a social worker. It's a, it's really like, if you watch nothing else of that movie, like, yeah. if you watch that opening with, with Safdie, it's a really interesting contrast to the character that he's playing here and shows the the range that he's capable of, if you're not familiar with a bunch of his work. But this was the first time in the show, like, this character has given me a little bit of pause. Um, spending a lot of time in the desert. Uh, spending a lot of time with these keys. I'm The show is so creatively strong everywhere else that at this point, it's not necessarily... Shaking my faith. It's not even like quite up to a red flag, but it is like something I'm watching where it's like the show is spending a lot of time with this character and it was hitting it was the first time where I was wondering to myself, I kind of wonder what the other characters are doing right now. <laughs> um What's
1: Poochie up to right now?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not, again, not strong, but like it's I'm I'm interested what that dynamic is gonna be like going forward, and if they're gonna spend this much time. I'm hoping the payoff's going to be worth it because I don't think it's necessarily demonstrated in this episode. Uh, w- what is the, the payoff for spending this much time with this character?
1: Well, I have a lot of thoughts on that, Patrick, but why don't we wait until we get to the, the recap and the spoilers before I dive into that? Um, but I understand your concern and we'll see if the show makes it worth it or not. But I, I have some theories about what the show is doing there. Uh, this was a this was a solid episode. You know, there's some great awkward moments uh in the episode, but I, I think it's a little weaker than some of the other episodes uh cuz it just doesn't have as many of those painful moments as some of the other episodes. Uh it feels like a middle chapter episode where they're like putting some pe- things putting up. Pieces in yeah, place putting pieces in place Yeah, putting pieces in place, setting the table for some things. Um still some fun interesting moments in it, but like uh yeah. O- only pretty solid which for the for, you know this is probably the weakest episode so far weakest episode so far but that's still like this is one of my favorite shows on tv right now and so it's still like very strong in my opinion so those are my overall thoughts on, on the curse episode for under the big tree patrick Klepek, why don't we start and get into the actual recap which means we're going to spoil everything from this point forward um now actually rather than do the recap i just want to respond directly to what you said about the Dougie storyline. Because when I, when I watched this episode the first time, I had the exact same thought. I was like, oh, maybe Dougie's just having like some side adventures. Like, that's that's his whole function of the plot, is he's having side adventures. But the more I... But when I watched it again, it kind of snapped into place for me. Patrick Klepik, have you ever had any event in your life that is the defining event of your
0: life?
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like the... My father, uh, eleven years ago, like randomly died of a of a heart attack at fifty six. Um, mm. And so, sign of like the birth of my beautiful children, um, like which obviously defining moments, of and my also life, your,
1: life, your your marriage to your lovely, your
2: wedding to yes, your lovely wife, yes, you know, but like um, can't forget that. I think part of when we talk about events like this, like yeah, I prepared for getting married to my wife, like I prepared and planned mm. for mm. the birth of 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 my children, like I wanted to have children, like the death of my father was like a phone call in the middle of the day, six weeks before I got married to my wife, Mm. Um, completely out of nowhere. And so, yes, like if I like look at like 38 years of Patrick Kluppick, the thing I think about the most to this day is like a a event like is, is, is that phone call and then the, the repercussions uh, uh, involved.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that what this show is trying to depict is a person who has a defining event of their life. Like, and that's Dougie. Everything he does in this episode is because of the defining event of his life, which is he was drunk driving in a car with his
2: at the time wife and they got in a car accident and she died. And do we know it was his that, wife until this episode? Is this like where we, we we had we had assumptions, right? That it was like yeah, a partner. It was
1: heavily implied, I think, certainly that they were like girlfriend, boyfriend at least, but yeah, right. it is confirmed that she is his wife in this episode. Um and everything he does in this episode is because of that decision, right? And it also, by the way, explains a lot of his actions in previous episodes, like him sitting alone in his room and crying, right? Like, he is somebody who has sh- who has been shaped by this one event. And e- once you experience an event like that, everything in your life is viewed through the lens of that event, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that's kind of what's happened to this character. So, uh, now, is that enough of a thematic throughline to make this storyline worth it when we're not, you know, hanging out with Whitney and, and Asher? Uh, that's up to you to decide. But I at least... As I recently said, when I tried to defend the Napoleon movie on the film cast, I at least <laughs> it's at least a take. It's at least a take. It's not might not be a take you uh, find particularly insightful or want, or it might not be well executed. But in my opinion, it is a take. It is, uh, hey, what if one per- everything that one person did is shaped by this one thing? So
2: I, I think I think you're right, and I think uh, it at least I think that's why I'm trying to grant so much like latitude to the show because like, all right, I trust these creatives, like front of the camera, behind the camera. Like, even if I don't feel fully on board with where it is yet, like I, if they think it's worth spending time with prop, like probably it's going to be worth spending time with, or at least I want to see why they think it's worth spending time with. And it at least has sidestepped the initial concern that I have, which is, Oh, is Dougie just going to be this like, obviously shady character right. hangs around for so long to a degree that it becomes even a show of like many implausible things because it becomes implausible by even the standards of an employee, like a show full of, of implausible events. And I don't think that's the case. Like the show takes the character seriously is, is applying depth and nuance to themselves and the context in the show uh, for me, it's just a matter like, at this point is like, I don't know what that execution is. I don't know how the puzzle pieces slot together. And so I'm, I'm with you that I think it has, it has set my initial concern. He is not a one dimensional yeah. character meant to just be like, as we see in the pilot, like Hey, like, what if you're shitty to your wife a little bit, like right, pretty right. good for the show. Like that was my worry. Like, Oh, that's going to be this character over yeah, and we still over got a
1: little bit of that this episode too right you know? but it can com- but, but
2: it can com- but like it actually functions better now because it is contrasted against a character we know way more about um yeah. and so that is still part of their character. he is still a sleazebag um but he's a complicated sleazebag uh and yeah. that's at least more interesting than just a paper-thin villain for the show to try and extract tension from these two characters
1: absolutely so, the episode begins, uh, Dougie wakes up slowly inside his car to good news after several missed calls. Asher and Whitney's show has been greenlit for an entire season. I was going to say, Patrick, I don't think we saw this coming. <laughs> but, <laughs> also, I'm not
2: sure it's good news. You know what yeah. I mean? In the context of the show, it is good news, but I, I don't know. Maybe this show shouldn't happen. It's,
1: it's a question of, like, what's worse? not getting the green light at all or getting the green light. And then what I assume is going to happen is completely failing to deliver on it. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what, you know, what, what is more stressful mm-hmm. a situation. And I think the show rightly recognizes probably the latter, right? Probably. Oh, you actually got the green light and now you're going to mess everything up. And that's mm-hmm. actually worse. And you can always count on the show to pick the maximally awkward painful situation. So. <laughs> sure. Uh-huh. Uh In the middle of the conversation, Dougie's phone suddenly dies, uh, which is funny. Dazed and confused, Dougie exits the car only to realize he's in the middle of nowhere next to a river. He doesn't even have the keys to his car. Nearby, he notices something odd. Two other cars, each without any drivers present. Dougie glances at his hand, and contains, which contains a note under the big tree. And so he begins scouting for a tree that matches that description and begins digging but finds nothing. Near another tree, he's su- surprised by a scorpion. And while digging again, he's mesmerized by a broken piece of an object, possibly a vase? But it's not a car key, and it's not until Dougie glances towards a very small tree isolated from all the others that he tries digging again. Under that tree are his car keys, plus two others, alongside keys attached to notes with names, addresses, and times. Uh, Let's pause here for a moment uh, on this vase thing, which comes back at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. You know, Dougie's kind of looking at this thing uh,
2: that he found in the ground.
1: Any idea what was going on there? No, Patrick. Um,
2: But the show, like, is very—you know—it's a long, lingering music kicks in moment both times, and so my presumption is it is a, an extension of what you mentioned in that uh, it—it's something we'll understand more fully later. I think something about this object Mm. is related to this trauma, related to this accident, reminds him of something, perhaps his wife, in some way, and I think he ends up being struck by having a reaction to it which i think you know like i can if that ends up being true like personally can fully relate like that is that is certainly one of those things that when you have like a defining traumatic event you are there's a lot of emotions tied up in the near term and then what happens over the medium and long term is you being surprised at your reactions to things that you aren't anticipating like seeing a familiar restaurant or in this case like maybe seeing like a, a a piece of something that reminds him of i don't know something in their house. I have no idea where it goes with it, but I it suggests to me that if that 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 has some sort of emotional connection to the to the car accident in some way.
1: Uh I think that's a great interpretation. Have you seen uncut gems? Yeah. So in uncut gems there is a massive like there's a massive rock that has uncut gems in it. And it's the source of fascination by many of the characters in the movie. Um, You sense that they see something in it that is transcendent. Uh, And I wonder if there's something similar going on here. You know, like all that stuff I just said is never really articulated explicitly in the film. Mm -hmm. But like people are fixated, you know, Kevin Garnett is fixated on this rock and Adam Sandler is fixated. on And people like when they see the rock, they're like. The rock, you know, um, and so I wonder if there's something similar going on. But your, your interpretation is probably much, much better than that. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's worth noting that the Safdies did make uncut gems. So. Yeah, there's also uh, two
2: great. There's just a, a short aside. There's some really great comedic moments here from Dougie and uh, from Safdie. They're like really understated, like when he's trying to measure what's a big tree. And, like, just kind of, like, using his, his hands <laughs> yeah. to figure it out. When he when he looks at the smaller tree and, like, realizes, like, that's got to be where he is, he kind of just says under his breath, like, you're a genius. Yeah, and you
1: like, freaking genius. Like, because like, he wrote it basically the opposite of what it actually is. And yeah, like, it's...
2: You it's, sly dog, <laughs> basically. And, like, normally moments like that, like, you know... I, the show is really understated about it. Like, they're very funny, but the show isn't framing it as, like, well, here's a funny beat for you. Right, And right, and, yeah. and it's just – it's very easy to be something that, like, if you were, I don't know, glancing at your phone, walked out of a room, you could miss that stuff. And it's some of my favorite bits in the show. And I think Safdie in particular is, like, a much more subtle actor um, or, or is pre- performing much more subtly than, like, you know, Asher. Asher is, like, very, like, <laughs> Like, like in 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 your face, and <laughs> right, I think sometimes right. you can miss these beats with, uh with Dougie, and I, I really appreciated those couple of moments. I thought they were just tremendously funny.
1: Yeah. So Dougie heads to one of the addresses of the notes he found, which leads to a tense confrontation between Dougie, a high school kid, and the kid's mom. Uh, the kid tries to claim that Dougie is an Uber messenger, but eventually, Dougie and the kid dispute the night's events. The kid claims Dougie was outside of their school lecturing them about how his wife died in a drunk driving accident. While Dougie claims the kids were asking him to buy them alcohol, he admits to buying them alcohol and taking their car keys as a way of teaching them a lesson. The mom is understandably upset with Dougie, but Dougie manages to weasel his way out of the problem by claiming the kid could get into criminal trouble ahead of trying to attend college. Uh, This was kind of funny where you see Dougie slowly start to realize what happened the previous (laughs) night, right? Yeah, I still have a lot of questions. So the idea is that, uh, he, th- these kids are trying to buy alcohol They're asking everyone to, like Everyone who walks near this alcohol store To buy them alcohol And Dougie says, okay, I'm going to do it Because I'm going to be able to supervise you right? mm-hmm. None of these other adults are. You're eventually going to In his twisted logic uh, he, They're eventually going to get the alcohol But unlike Dougie, they're not going to be responsible uh, And so he's like, at least when I buy you the alcohol For kids illegally I'm going to be able to do so responsibly Uh, And he wants to do this because he doesn't want the kids to drive drunk because that's how his wife died. And, you know, that's very important for him. Um, Now I still have a lot of questions, Patrick, about Mm -hmm. how the cars all got out there. That doesn't really Mm -hmm. like, we don't get the full details of the story. Like did he, did the kids all drive out there? And then they Ubered home. Did he drive the cars out there? But if he drove the cars out there, how did he get back to drive the other car? Like if he drove one car out there, did he walk back and drive the other car? Like, what what actually how did that happen
2: exactly you know When he did not seem to wake up in a um like ooh like that was like a right what a what a nice comfortable like uh sleep like he, 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 he seemed like he was out. drunk he yeah, he yeah he didn't he didn't remember the night's event, so he was clearly blackout drunk and i think there was a uh i think there's like a a brief shot of his car where like it looked like one of the windows in the back was uh kind of busted up a little bit mm. so uh i I suggest the. I, I would assume that the events of that night uh, are not as clear cut as like. Come on, kids, let's go to the desert and drink a couple brewskis. And right, I, I
1: wonder c- if it's going to come. It's like that riddle of uh, you need to go across the uh, the river on a raft, and you have a uh, a fox, a hen, and a bag mm-hmm. of feed with you. Like, how do you get across? You know, with only enough room for one of those things. It's like, how did Dougie get three cars out into the middle of nowhere? Uh, hide the keys, and then the kids got back home, transported somehow. I assumed
2: I assumed they drove the cars out there. He's mm-hmm. like, "I'll buy the alcohol. Follow me. Yeah. This is where we're gonna go, yeah. and then I'm gonna bury the keys." And uh, and then how they get home? Like, did they Uber home? Like, we're like a sober driver? I don't know. Uh, yeah. But he, maybe, yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> also, is Uber messenger a thing? Is that, like, can you get a, a can you pay someone to deliver a message on Uber? I don't know. He probably should have used the uh, Task as the uh, yeah. I was gonna say yeah. There is a thing called
1: Uber Connect that you can use to like courier packages from place to place. Mm, okay. Um, so it's not completely out without precedent. Th- this idea of an Uber messenger. Anyway, later in the episode, Asher meets up with Dougie to map out the rest of the season. We learn a little bit more about their backstory. Apparently, Dougie once bullied Asher and apologized for it, but Dougie does. Uh, sorry, but um, Asher doesn't really seem to understand that he was being bullied at all, which is <laughs> you know. Yeah. par for the course asher once again fixates on the idea of the curse being real at which point dougie points out uh, a blast of static that appears in the footage at the same time that the young girl cursed asher dougie also claims to have been cursed and seems to blame the accident on that uh so that's a very sad moment when he says i'm also cursed like you you know that's how my wife died and asher's like well wasn't it an accident you know you were driving drunk and she got killed by and he's like yeah but like I just happened how, to be drunk. He how used would that, that yeah, phrase again. Exactly. Like I just, I just happened, happened to, to be drunk. drunk. Like there yeah. was some other force acting against me. Right. Like, um, and I think that this is where conspiracy theories come from. This is where the idea of curse comes from. This is where the idea of astro- astrology comes from. This idea that like, we want to not be responsible for our actions and we want to not live in a world that's full of chaos and unpredictability. Uh, because it assures us that, you know, life is livable. Uh, but some people have difficulty dealing with that, and one of the ways you cope is by thinking that there's a curse. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts, Patrick? Lepic, on this whole thing?
2: No, I'm, I'm. I have to imagine the bullying or like the history between these two characters is going to become more of a thing as we mm-hmm. go forward. I am deeply curious about the nature of. Like Asher's inability to self-diagnose, to understand the projection of themselves. It's, it's interesting because it's probably tied up in his inability to sort of like be naturalistic on camera and sort of a stilted performance is because he, he doesn't have a good, like he can't, he does. Some people like, look at their performance of how they act on camera or on a podcast and like, can look at like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like I can see what I was doing there. I'll try and do something different. I don't think Asher sees anything meaningfully different from what he's doing in his real life. And, and, and like what's happening at camera. And I think that's an extension of Asher's inability to understand the perception of them, of themselves. Um, mm-hmm. Which, you know, I think as we've talked about, like is clearly a broader theme of the show is like perception of yourself, how people yeah. perceive you and your actions. Um, and so that to have extended all the way to Dougie and Asher, like, you know, relationship in like their younger years and, and Asher not being even aware they were being bullied suggests some questionable thing about Asher's ability to judge themselves and the things around them, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed.
1: Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about Asher and Whitney. Asher and Whitney get the same congratulatory congratulatory call as Dougie did, uh, which is exciting, except for a note from HGTV about downplaying the displaced residents associated with the developments. <laughs> the two convince themselves the eco-friendly message will more than make up for the loss, as Whitney proposes Asher take a corporate comedy class before they film the rest of the season. Asher doesn't seem to take the suggestion well, but the two are interrupted by a neighbor who's upset about one of the people Asher and Whitney sold a home to a man named Vic, because he's been distributing a note that claims neighbors are stealing his packages. The neighbor is concerned that Asher and Whitney aren't bringing in people who are in harmony with the community. Asher cautions how angry Whitney should get at Vic because he's providing a big discount on an AR project that Asher is planning. As she exits the house, Whitney decides to walk to the other house instead of taking the car on the walk. She interacts with some local residents And then at the house, discovers that Vic has swapped the house's inductive stove for a gas stove, which seems to irritate her as it betrays the eco-friendly passive house messaging for the houses. About the packages, Whitney encourages uh, Vic to not involve the police, but much like the inductive stove, he doesn't seem that interested in taking Whitney's comments to heart. Uh, Whitney calls Asher while really upset, wondering if there's anything they can do. And Asher quickly gets hung up on Whitney, noticing the inductive stove was sitting in good condition. So, like, he gets
2: fixated on the idea yeah. that the
1: inductive stove is there.
2: All right, Logs but it's to- worth seven, it's worth seven thousand dollars. Like this, like he's worth like this is a big thing with Asher. Like, that is coming up over and mm-hmm. like the the show is just like hammering this point home about his personality. Like, mm-hmm. he hears that the inductive stove worth seven thousand dollars is in good condition he's worried about Whitney getting mad at Vic because he's getting a big discount on this AR project. And I'm wondering if that is just meant to be like continuing to thematically like to point out that he like, this is fixation that he has on money. Um, But like over and over again, Asher demonstrates that he is a person who is always thinking about ways to save money, how to be more efficient with money uh, which I can like, de- mm. like deeply sympathize with. I have a it's a is a is a bit that my 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 mother was the same way growing up because uh, her family didn't have a lot of money and her grandmother didn't have a lot of money. And even as things got more stable for my mom and things are like fairly stable in my life, I am like unable to not fixate on ways of like like I'm the kind of person like is anyone looking? All right, time to turn the thermostat down two degrees and see if anybody notices. <laughs> um, wow um, I, I hope I your could, family
1: doesn't listen to this podcast Patrick. no i
2: gave up on it i gave up on it when we had kids um uh but like i have a similar right like yeah but i could save like 20 bucks this month if like we went to 67 instead of 69 and so right. like i just maybe that's me like yeah. projecting my own like financial like insecurities but like i just feel like that keeps coming up with asher and in, in such an interesting way
1: and that the financial needs kind of trump whatever proposed values they might have, because why? Why would he want? I get maybe he's trying to resell it, but if he's not, if he's trying to put it in one of his houses, you know, then it goes against the mission of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I did like the stuff about HGTV saying, "Hey, we'd like to not, you know, we'd like to sand the edges off this thing." Um, they're actually doing Whitney and Asher a favor, you know, because we Whitney and Asher aren't exactly the best spokespeople for that type of message. Uh, but it is a great kind of depiction of how corporate involvement slowly sends off the edges of things until like the the original thing you wanted to make sometimes becomes unrecognizable. Uh, that's cool. There is this man named Vic who I think showed up earlier. Like he was the guy that talked to the priest, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Um, right, I was trying to pinpoint. Was like, yeah. the show wants to make me to, wants me to think that I've seen this character before. I couldn't. And he exactly is really pissed. Remember
1: he's really pissed because his packages are getting stolen and he's putting up signs, which by the way, I'm going to say, I think the signs are pretty reasonable. You know, like he, the neighbors are taking it in an accusatory fashion. They're they're saying Vic is accusing us, but he's just trying to figure out who stole his computer, which by the way, is an alienware computer. (laughs) And I like that. He clarified it's alienware and they sent it to me. It wasn't Amazon because if it was Amazon, they might've given me a refund. Uh, Patrick Klepek, you want to let people know what Alienware in in the world of PCs and gaming PCs is.
2: Well, yeah, like I think a lot of when uh frequently people associate, oh, building a com- like a computer with something you've built. Like there's a a pot, there's a huge culture around buying individual pieces for a PC and putting it together. Um I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I'm someone that goes to an Alienware mm-hmm. or uh, another company that puts together Uh, what they call pre-built PCs. And so, uh, and these became very popular, especially in the last couple of years as uh, crypto, uh, 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 hardware shortages uh, due to to COVID. And then the rise of AI have made graphics cards uh, extremely expensive. And it's actually cheaper to then purchase a PC that comes with a card than to try and track down the individual card itself. But it's a a very simple way of just like, I'm going to spend $1,500 and get a whole PC as opposed right. to putting it all together, well, yourself.
1: I should also point out that Alienware in general is like higher end PC, mm-hmm. right? It's generally like a couple thousand dollars for a PC, uh, has the high end graphics cards and so on. So basically, I'm saying I'm feeling a lot of sympathy for making this. Episode, you know?
2: <laughs> Did you have an Alienware PC stolen off of your your porch? I, I have uh, David? never,
1: I've never had an Alienware PC, but I've I've definitely considered them very often. You know, I've always thought about maybe I should get this Alienware. Uh, but yeah, they're, they, uh, <laughs> just
2: like Whitney. She's like, I got, you know, I got to look into those, you know, you learn something new every day.
1: Yeah. They're high end gaming PCs. Uh, and then they got acquired by Dell and then they've become kind of a little bit less high end afterwards, but they're still like, you know, on the, on the medium to higher end of the market, I would say. Um, so anyway, uh, Asher arrives back at his newly purchased home with the residence he's allowed to stay there, with bags of food and supplements that clearly make the father uncomfortable to accept. Um, Asher also claims he needs to do a mold test to avoid the father ever deciding to sue him for it. While gathering material for the test, Asher makes small talk about tiny curses, prompting the father to pull Asher aside and ask him not to talk about the idea of curses anymore. The father doesn't actually seem to believe in curses, but increasingly, Asher seems to. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about this. I think this is a great depiction of people whose kindness becomes an imposition, you know, like Mm -hmm. Asher shows up. He's like, I got supplements for your neck. And he's like, I I didn't even, the father's saying, you know, okay, you know, I didn't even, it's not something I asked for. And now, now I need to deal with that. (laughs) Now I need to deal with you giving, giving me the supplements, you know, um, people often sometimes, some basically sometimes when people buy you something or they give you something, it's about the, the giver and not the recipient, you know? And I think this is one of those cases. Um, any well, other thoughts? Also there's the, a,
2: there, there's a, uh, there are multiple times I think here, and this happens a little bit, uh, in a previous episode where the father is kind of like glancing out, you know, like, Oh, they're still here. Like, what do you, you know what I mean? You know, right, and it, right. it's like, I'm sure I'm, everyone has probably encountered a situation like this before where, uh, you invite people over for like, sort of like an open-ended afternoon. And then, like, you're sort of, you're sort of done with the social visit and are, like, quietly waiting for the other people to sort of, there's not, like, a natural end point, right? It's not like we came to play this board game or to watch this movie and then, like, all right, it makes sense for everyone uh, to leave. Um, it's just sort of, you're here and then, like, well, an hour's gone by. Boy, you're, st- you're still here. And the moment the uh, that Asher goes to do the, like, oh, well, you could paint my nails, felt felt like one of those moments where it's like buddy Mm. like come here do the mold test i guess and like get out like you are not part of our lives this is not something that makes us us comfortable and so i I, like deep sympathy for the uh uh the, the father in that moment just like please just up, like, whatever but like It's a tough dynamic doing.
1: because Asher can eject them at any time you know like right. it's a very it's very challenging so yeah
2: well there, there was and i also loved that the show does a a great job of playing on sort of probably audience expectations but also like you know the kind of characters we know Asher and Whitney to be where uh, you know he pulls him aside to ask him to stop you know talking about the tiny curses it's like well, like where are you from what's your culture minnesota because <laughs> like, you definitely like expect him to say like something else and it's like oh yeah. that's why you'd be into like curses and other sort of you no, know he's
1: just a normal american that doesn't like talking about
2: curses <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. shocking fair fair and also kids do get things in their head those kids are the kind of age where um kids naturally fixate on things and so yeah. I, I i totally get the father's reaction
1: uh so yeah, I, I don't know. There's also a funny moment where uh Asher tries to quiz one of the daughters to see if she knows what Penne is. I thought that was
2: funny. <laughs> <He> said, <laughs> I forgot that. He's that's like, a- You
1: can't you can't know what you couldn't have done the curse if you didn't know what penny you couldn't have <laughs> taken the chicken out of the penny if you don't know what penny was. I, I think that's that's the logic inside uh-huh. his head, right? Uh-huh. So anyway. Uh, back at the parking lot, Whitney is concerned about Fernando, their temporary security guard, having a gun around. So Whitney asks her assistant to once again ask him to not bring the gun, uh, which he seems to agree to. Simultaneously, Asher tries to nab the induction stove only for the entire ordeal to go entirely wrong, concluding with the induction stove falling over and getting completely destroyed. Just some classic Nathan-for-you hijinks. You know, that that was, I, I thought, uh, Nathan Fielder-style hijinks. Um, I actually, that was a a part of the episode where I was so it was so painful to watch. I couldn't. I had to take a break, you know, because it was so yeah awful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's always one of those moments per episode. Uh, well, okay. He's also like
2: yeah, the he's way hiding he's hiding as well. I feel like is a whether purposeful or not is 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 a, a moment in which Nathan Fielder is acting as an audience surrogate, which is like yeah. that's yes. Yes, at uh, <laughs> that's that's what we're all doing as well while watching the show.
1: I don't understand what the big deal was with him doing, being caught on camera. So, oh, he found an induction stove on the I guess like he's worried about
2: Whitney learning about it, right? Like I think he, was, he seemed to be more he worried tries to about hide it from Whitney. So, like, yeah. I, think, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't see what the big deal yeah. is. Where it's like, we sold you this home. Yeah, I guess you're being kind of a why would you buy this home if you were going to just put a g- gas stove in? It seems like you could have gotten a cheaper place that made more, more sense. But yeah. um yeah, I, I wonder if, to some degree if that's an extension of like his, I don't know, his habitual sort of fixation on money that, uh that Whitney does not uh, seem to share. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's going to be a payoff or is just a, a quirk of Asher.
1: Yeah. All right. And then uh finally, Uh, Whitney walks home from a chiropractor appointment, stumbles across a religious ceremony where people are sitting eyes closed and singing with one another. Her eyes are drawn to a sign saying, always take the high road, and she appears to be moved. Uh, Asher attends a corporate comedy class. The the group is asked to make people laugh without using words, prompting Asher to grab his ears and make obnoxious noises. Nobody laughs. And that is the end of the episode. I remember uh, Brian Cranston... I think he was talking about his work on Malcolm in the middle. I think this is, I think I'm not misremembering this, and he was saying how um there's a reason why when you're watching a comedy uh nobody's laughing in the comedy right like um, when you're watching like people interact on screen and someone says something funny, you know like but everyone takes it deadly serious, including in the show like Pete, your people are doing ridiculous things and you're laughing at it um nobody laughs and he's i, I think Brian Cranston said that puts pressure on the audience to laugh like you feel like you must laugh because no one's laughing hmm. but if somebody is laughing it like relieves the pressure you know if people on screen are like enjoying themselves and having a blast then you're like oh i don't need to laugh because they're already having a good time from this i thought that was a really interesting idea anyway it came to mind during this final sequence when you know people are doing dumb things and then everyone's laughing and then nathan fielder does something actually really funny and no one laughs in the show <laughs> like if i was there i would have laughed because that would have been really <laughs> dumb right like but then it puts the onus on the audience like you sitting at home to laugh at how painful it is anyway just some deep thoughts on the corporate comedy class that they were taking so uh any other thoughts on this episode of the curse patrick Lepic?
2: yeah i i really enjoyed that final sequence, I I have to imagine one of the threads for the rest of the the season is going to be when they start picking up to film for the rest. Like Whitney seems really concerned about that focus group and really concerned about how Asher is being portrayed. And I, I was sort of shocked that he actually went to the comedy retreat. And like, obviously Whitney is not going to go. Um, yeah but, even though she
1: said she was going to go right like she she was open to it it seemed but yeah Yeah
2: but that just seemed like well it was very funny because in that little exchange you know like she's surprised that he would suggest that she would go like no like everyone <laughs> fucking loves me did you watch the focus group and and it really feels like that is like that's going to continue to be like a source of of tension as as the they plot out what the rest of this season is for the for the reality show and this like kind of, I don't know, like new dynamic in their relationship um, that hasn't existed, but now like the show is going to get made, or at least they're going to try to make it. And I'm, I'm very curious to see where they go with Asher's character as like, you know, I think he like has always seen himself as a, not necessarily an equal, but definitely like a partner. And like, what happens when that dynamic that power dynamic like gets more out of balance. And I I suspect that could maybe be part of what happens as, as the show progresses.
1: Mm. Yeah. I really have no idea where the show's going at this point. Like it's 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 kind of, it's kind of in a weird, a weird place right now where, you know, we had some momentum with that reporter storyline and I'm like, where is that going? Um, I think this, this really is just one of the middle chapters of, Hey, there's just some, this is a lull. Uh, before the storm comes, I, I can't believe there's six more episodes of this. We we haven't even gotten to the halfway point yet. You know, so.
2: yeah, it's um, it's one thing to kind of go either way, right? Um, yeah. I think there has been something lost in the switch to the prestige television model of six to eight to ten to what twelve episodes max, in which uh, what what could be conceived of as filler in television shows that used to be you know, 24 episodes that you like watched over the the course of like half or, or more of a year, you know, you look back at, you know, some of my favorite shows, X-Files, Lost, things, things like that. Well, like some of those quote filler episodes were just character episodes that Mm -hmm. didn't necessarily advance anything meaningfully, but grew me closer to these characters so that when we get to the big moments that like quote unquote move things along, those mean more because I spent time on something that felt like an aside. Um, but those moments can be important. I think a lot of that's been lost and like, got got to tell a tightly threaded story. that yeah. is just like a big moment, every episode and we're always got our gas, you know, our, our foot on the gas. And sometimes there's value in like releasing some of that and just, I don't know, vibing, like spending time with characters, even if it doesn't, Amount to something, so I think this we may look back on an episode like this, and maybe there aren't like great like direct payoffs from like anything that happens here. But it you spend time with the characters, that illustrates more about them, and then makes actions or events uh later like mean more because of that extra fifty minutes that that you spent. Because I think just just think a lot of that's been lost in the way television is produced and and told these days.
1: Absolutely, uh, my question for you, Patrick, is: Have I convinced you? About the meaningfulness or utility of Dougie's storyline at this point.
2: Because
1: uh, you came into this episode pretty
2: negative about that storyline. Uh, well, you've convinced me that it could have a point. I need yeah. the show to tell, like, if this is like where it ended, I don't know that it's justified. It's, right, I agree, it's I agree time. with that. I can agree um, with that. Agree um, with that. Agree but it makes me it. very curious. Again, yeah. there aren't that many characters in this show. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Dougie, like, it's it would have been very easy for this show to shuffle Dougie off screen, right? Like there were multiple times there were very convenient moments in the storytelling where, and he went back to his home planet of Los Angeles, you know what I mean? Like, and, and maybe came back later, uh, you know, to Mm rent, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There are ways they could have structured it where Dougie exited. And we then just were left with Whitney and Asher and the show is saying no. And so despite my, it's not apprehension. It's more just curiosity of like, I don't know. Like I can see where we're going with Asher and Whitney, even if I don't know it from a plot perspective. But I can see character arcs. I can see lines of tension. Um, I don't know how Dougie fits in all that, all that yet. And so it's more just a curiosity of how, like, I don't under much like I'm puzzling over, like Dougie puzzling over the the piece of a, a vase or whatever that he found in the ground. Like I'm puzzling over Dougie to know like where do you, where do you fit in mm. all of this? Yeah. Um and I'm. I remain very curious, but optimistically curious about where, where it all ends up.
1: Yeah, indeed. Same. Well, let us know what you think about the podcast or of the show, the curse at decodingtv at gmail.com. But I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, We'll be back with another episode of the curse uh, next week. And in the meantime, there's a bunch of great stuff on the decoding TV podcast feed. We recently covered the crown by the time you're listening to this, we'll probably have covered invincible season two with Jesse Earl as well. Um, and I want to thank all the members at decodingtv.com, paid members for making this podcast possible. He is Patrick Klepic. Find his work at Remap Radio and at crossplay.news. I'm David Chen. Find me at decodingtv.com. Uh, Until next week, we'll see you later. Goodbye.